Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. For a decade and a half now, the conventional wisdom has been that following the clash with Hezbollah in the summer of 2006, Israel's border with Lebanon was kept quiet due to the deterrence gained by the heavy blows inflicted by the IDF. This assessment was brought into question by a sudden terror act probably conceived in Beirut and executed through the border fence of Israel's north. Israel is now concerned that Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah, 40 years at the helm of the Lebanese-Iranian proxy, is spoiling for a new fight. Is it so? And what does it have to do with the chaotic domestic situation in Lebanon and the political and societal crisis here in Israel? To unpack it, we're joined from northern Israel by Lieutenant Colonel in Reserve Sarit Zavi, who is the president and founder of Alma Research and Education Center. Thank you for joining us, Lieutenant Colonel. Good evening. Also joining us here in the studio is Colonel Rovem Ben Shalom, who is a TV7 Powers in Play uh, panelist, a cross-cultural strategist, and associate at ICT at Reichland University. Thank you for joining us as well, Colonel. And, of course, our TV7 editor-at-large, uh, Mr. Amir Oren, uh, TV7 Powers in Play host, as well as uh, uh, of Watchmen Talk and so much more. Uh, Mr. Oren, give us a broader understanding on the current state of play vis-a-vis Lebanon. As you know, Jonathan, they used to say that Great Britain and the United States are separated by a common language. And uh, Israel and Lebanon are two neighboring countries with a common border, border separated by a common border with heavy domestic problems right now. And the question is, um, are the national security paradigms of the countries or in the case of Lebanon, of Hezbollah as the major factor, are they influencing what is happening there? Or is it only domestic problems which give rise to detention and perhaps uh, even to escalation following that? So in Israel, the problem is that um, some uh, of the military reservists Uh, have given the appearance that uh, the IDF uh, is not on the same page with the government. And um, it turned out that Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of uh, Hezbollah, and I'm sure Sarit and Ruven will expand on it, uh, may have seen it as proof of an Israeli weakness. And then the question is, is he looking for a fight? Is he looking for a pretext, for an opportunity to, to start something? Or is it the regular bravado? And uh, when we look back on it a couple of months uh, from now, we will see that nothing really happened and he only gained points in some uh, domestic uh, calculation within Lebanon. Well, we've all uh, been engaged with the Lebanon war, either as observers or deep behind enemy lines. And I'd like to ask you, Colonel Ben Shalom, uh, the blows that Hezbollah received back then, which are not even, um, I, I don't like to put a number on it, but they're very small compared to what Lebanon may face in the next conflagration. Has Hezbollah lost it in a sense of, do they realize what they want to enter into? 
Yes, I think we have to give a lot of credit to Hezbollah and probably the rival that understands us most. I think they analyze us well, understand us well. They know how to work the perception uh, and the narratives uh, very well. Uh, maybe I should correct something. When you say the blows that Hezbollah uh, received, I'm not sure that they see it that way. Certainly Lebanon received severe blows, but Hezbollah, at the end of the war, could say we won. Why? Because they shot until the very last day. So I don't think they see it even internally as a defeat. Now, the issue of Lebanon, for them, that's a sacrifice that's worth it, uh, making, and probably in the future, too. The whole calculation here is not uh, bettering the situation of our people, prosperity, economy. That's not it at all. By the way, neither for us. We have large strategic goal, long-term goals, right? Unfortunately, we have to fend off these threats, but we have there's a broader picture here. So I think Hezbollah is calculated. They know what they're doing. The only problem is that many times these wars erupt in a miscalculation. That could happen. And because they are a proxy, it could be that something else will be triggered through Iran, for instance, and then it will be needed by Iran to operate this proxy, not a calculation of Hezbollah or Lebanon. We'll take that, of course, into consideration in today's uh, panel. Uh, Colonel Zavi, I'd like to take uh, to hear your take on this. I must say that the change of policy or the change of strategy uh, in Hezbollah didn't happen following the demonstrations that we see now and the protests that we see now in Israel. It happened earlier than that. Um, we've seen Hezbollah on the borderline with the military operatives of Radwan uh, brigades uh, building uh, positions all over the border and being prepared for war since last summer. And last summer it didn't happen uh, specifically because Israel made a compromise, it's not even a compromise, made a concession and agreed to the positions of Lebanon, actually the positions of Hezbollah with the nuclear, uh, with the gas, I'm sorry, with the gas uh, uh, agreement. And I'm specifically saying this is a gas agreement because it had no real political meaning. It's not a normalization and any step forward to a new relationship between Israel and Lebanon. It's just about sharing the gas. And the Lebanese actually got what they wanted. So there is a change in the situation assessment of Hezbollah. And I think that today Hezbollah, since last summer, evaluates that it can escalate the situation on the northern border or maybe uh, take more risks. This is all about risk management of Hezbollah. Take more risks uh, when we speak about being involved in terrorist attacks inside Israel, like we've seen in Megiddo Junction. Um, and maybe it evaluates that this will not take it specifically to war. And this is something that should trouble us and make us make our own new risk management around that. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Owen, I'd uh, like to take what uh, Colonel uh, Zavi just mentioned about the, the gas deal. Indeed, uh, both Saudi Arabia as well as the United Arab Emirates were very dismayed, and they voiced their dismay over the fact that Israel made an, a deal, and as their statement was, a deal with Iran rather than Hezbollah, but that's, uh, of course, uh, the uh, Hezbollah being an offshoot of uh, the Iranian regime or an integral part of that at this stage, uh, it's uh, viewed very negatively from uh, that perspective. And therefore, I'd like to to ask you, with uh, Qatar involved now in the, the exploration of, of those uh, gas uh, areas, Block 9, of course, and the other areas there, as well as uh, uh, France and, and Italy, is there not a calculation here from... Hezbollah's perspective, considering the, the profit it may make uh, at this stage, and, and is 
obviously going to lose if something uh, ultimately conflagrates? There probably is, and therefore there's a difference between what they say and what uh, they do or they, they will do. But you call it a deal and you uh, emphasize the economic uh, dimensions. But it was more to um, use a term which went out of fashion many years ago, a non-aggression pact. Israel and Hezbollah actually decided for the time being, for their own reasons, not to attack each other. This is uh, the so-called deterrence equation, which um, uh, Nasrallah takes pride in Israel not attacking targets within Lebanon and not even Lebanese citizens, civilians or Hezbollah operatives outside of Lebanon. And he threatens to change it if Israel uh, attacks. So the the gas uh, uh, deal or the gas uh, interchange that the Americans, that uh, Mr. Amos Hochstein mediated, um, is probably not a good starting point for what is happening now. But uh, maybe Sarit Zahavi knows better. Well, uh, of course, there is the American secret clause in this uh, uh, situation where uh, only the people in the know are familiar with those details, because other than that, to, to date, uh, I don't know uh, what we were thinking, but that's uh, my personal opinion. Um, Colonel Ben Shalom, to what degree do we look at the Northern Front and we see Iran rather than Lebanon? I think we have to look at the Northern Front as an entire arena. It starts from Iran. We used to call it different names in the past, remember? I don't know what name is considered uh, cool these days, but it doesn't matter. Going from Iran through Syria into Lebanon. We call Hezbollah proxy for a reason. Uh, there is communication. There is funding. There are uh, directives coming from there. By the way, it's not that Hezbollah is an army of Iran, that I think that tomorrow Iran could turn them on or off. But certainly I think if something does erupt with Iran, and remember that we are in a way at war with Iran for quite some time. Things are happening, mostly under the radar, but it's happening. Tomorrow we could see a drone strike like Iran does in other places or through proxies, right? It could happen south of here. It could happen in Lebanon, and that would have Iranian fingerprints on it. So I think we definitely have to see it that way. Even in the past, we Israelis used to think of a Lebanon war. There was a first Lebanon war, the second Lebanon war. There will be no third Lebanon war. It won't be that way. It will be a northern arena war, all-out war. And probably more challenging for Israel because we're used to looking at different arena. Once we have Gaza, we're all at Gaza. Then we're Lebanon, you know. Now it will be multiple arenas. It will be internal inside of Israel and Judea and Samaria and Gaza because all of our rivals, all of our enemies, as soon as it happens, will launch everything they have. They want to take part. So for us, it will be challenging. But also you have to remember that since 2006, and uh, General Kohavi, when he retired now, he spoke about that a lot, the capabilities that we have that are in, uh, multiplied since 2006. Our capabilities, the target bank, it's a different army, it's a different even concept of operation. The devastation for Lebanon, I believe this is not Israeli propaganda, but reality, also from things that I see as a reservist. The truth is I feel for my Lebanese neighbors. I hope they never reach this point because it will be devastating. The whole thing will look different. You can't look to the past and assume that that's the way the war will look at the future. Colonel uh, Zavi, when we're looking at uh, the Lebanese arena, is Hezbollah at this stage in a truly in a place, politically speaking, when uh, it still calls all the shots with a technocratic government uh, affiliated with its political uh, offshoot in, in multiple ways? 
Is it truly willing to sacrifice all of this, considering the potential consequences of not knowing how to get out of the war, ultimately? Look, I think that what Hezbollah is willing now is to take the risk of war, meaning in a way that uh, whatever serves its interests. And the interests of Hezbollah, uh, speaking of uh, today, is to weaken the state of Israel as much as possible in various arenas, as uh, you've mentioned before. Um, and if it will deteriorate into war, I think Hezbollah believes today that it was the risk. I don't think that the gas deal was a non-aggression pact. I think that the Hezbollah didn't go to war, but he never promised that it, he will not ex execute uh, terrorist attacks or will be involved in terrorist attacks against Israel or inside Israel. Um, when I go on the borderline, I see Iran definitely. I see Iranian flags. I see posters of Qasem Soleimani. I see sculptures uh, of Qasem Soleimani and the former commander of Kurds Force who was assassinated a few years ago by the Americans in Iraq. Uh, and he's here uh, on my border. Um, one more thing, when you said um, the Northern War, I want I want to to give some details about that. Look, we had an earthquake in Syria and Turkey uh, a month ago, and what we see since the earthquake, we see um, around 1,000 convoys of trucks that can include like 200 trucks, big trucks that cross from Iraq. Uh, into Syria in an area that is completely an Iranian area in Syria. And I believe that in these trucks, there was not only humanitarian aid. There was also a lot of ammunition and weapon. And what the Iranians are doing are stressing in what we call the uh, land corridor to transfer uh, this kind of weapons, advanced weapons, strategic weapons that can actually threaten us uh, along these uh, routes all the way from Iran through Iraq into Syria and maybe if they will succeed uh, inside Lebanon as well. Uh, the war that you've mentioned, the future war that you've mentioned, uh, will be fueled by these weapons that are already positioned in Syria. So the preparedness of, of Hezbollah in Iran today is different than it used to be a few years ago, the preparedness for war. So is he willing to take the risk what risk? The currency of, of Lebanon is falling apart as we speak. Uh, the political and economic crisis is unsolved uh, for a few years now. And actually, if there will be war in Lebanon, a lot of money will come in to rebuild Lebanon. So I, I think that in, in the eyes of Hezbollah, the risks are getting smaller and smaller and the opportunities are getting greater. And that's why we see the change in this risk management that I was talking about. We don't see it initiate war. Usually Hezbollah does not initiate war, but definitely uh, can uh, make uh, changes in the policy that we all used to talk about in previous years of not interested in war. We are not there anymore. Indeed. Well, of course, uh, there, there are variables that uh, need to be taken into consideration. There are also talk, of course, uh, will they shoot everything at once or will they have uh, ammo discipline, which uh, ultimately will turn this into a war of attrition, uh, which uh, will affect, of course, the, the public opinion. But uh, last week on Tuesday, Mr. Ogan, I'd like to ask you particularly about this incident. Of course, the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, there are various uh, um, directions of this investigation as to the degree in which Hezbollah was involved in this matter, but two IDF soldiers were injured as a result of a landmine. 
while a uh, D9 basically uh, was operating uh, adjacent to the border. Uh, what can you tell us about that? To what degree uh, is this something that uh, shakes in Israeli society and in the, the halls of power here in Jerusalem? So when uh, there are so many terrorist acts uh, in the West Bank and uh, in Jerusalem and uh, within uh, Israel proper, um, west of the Green Line, another such incident uh, with casualties but not fatalities is not going uh, to make uh, the Israeli public uh, gung-ho. Um, and uh, one thing that worries um, um, analysts is that um, when this Megiddo incident was uh, analyzed in the press, um, the general uh, feeling was that this uh, was almost the prelude to war. Why? Because Hezbollah must have calculated that had this bomb killed Israelis, Israel would have seen no choice but to go to war. This automatic way of thinking in Israel um, is uh, a cause for, for concern because this is what happened in July of 2006. There was a very, very grave incident. Israeli soldiers were killed. Some of them were abducted. Later, we found out that uh, those abducted were already killed or dying. And Israel acted automatically the, um, in a Pavlovian way um, of conditioned reflex. And uh, there is no need to do that. The Israeli cabinet, the um, Israeli military, the intelligence community should spend more time, uh, study it uh, more deeply, and find out whether it was a Palestinian organization um, which Hezbollah let cross the border. We now know that there was no tunnel, that this lone uh, terrorist, and it probably was a lone terrorist, um, crossed the fence, cut the fence somehow, and penetrated Israel. Hezbollah, or people who act for Hezbollah in this particular sector, let him do it. It was a failure by Israel's uh, forces guarding the border. But this may have been a tactical event and shouldn't have been uh, inflated automatically into a strategic uh, phenomenon. Colonel Menchelon. The operation itself, I'm sorry to use the word operation, but it was pretty impressive. Uh, the terrorists did a good job, came deep inside of Israel, operated a mine that we, I don't think we've ever seen that happen. It's called like a Claymore mine, directional uh, fragmentation mine. Uh, that we've seen in Lebanon many years ago. Uh, we have this natural tendency, the first mistake Mr. Oren spoke about, is to think that everything that happens, you need to retaliate. But another tendency is that every little thing that penetrates, it's like, how could this happen? Also with drones, we see this. How could a drone penetrate the Israeli airspace? And then we even make a point of saying, no, no, we, we saw it. We follow it all along. Don't think for one second that something can penetrate. So you know what? Something can penetrate. Also, we know Hezbollah's doctrine and what they're preparing for the next war. Fortunately for us, in recent years, Israeli leadership has been bragging a lot about our intelligence capabilities. So we know that we know, and we probably know almost everything. And what are they preparing? Such operations like this on a massive scale. So in the next war, we're going to see Hezbollah forces, special forces, come deep inside of Israel. 
Also, that will be more PR because what are they going to achieve? Hold some hill for 24 hours? We're going to wipe them out at the end. At the end of all of that war, Lebanon devastated, and what will Hezbollah achieve? Nothing. What, are they going to bring Israel to its knees? No. Are they going to achieve some kind of territorial gain? No. So what will happen? After all of that, it will be like always. There will be another round of violence, devastation mostly in Lebanon, some kind of agreement, arrangement, United Security Council Resolution 2000, I don't know what, and a stronger and more emboldened Hezbollah that can say, we won because we fired to the last day. That's how I think we have to see this one specific operation, and bravo to that operative that did a good job, unfortunately. But, but Reuven, uh, what you're just saying um, is in military terms. Uh, you speak about units, about companies, battalions, brigades. But if one can learn from this particular incident, maybe 100 or 200 lone terrorists... There will be. They, they, will, go, they will go separately to sectors around the fence and cut them and penetrate Israel That's with each yeah. with its own... Uh, detonation, the explosive charge. That is, that's exactly what they're going to do. And there will be waves of drones, and it will be very difficult. And Israelis will get killed, and Israeli soldiers will get killed. It's going to be war. And after 20 days, 50 days, we'll go back, like always, to the new arrangements. With that being said, of course, uh, Israel has a few tricks up its sleeve, and I'd like to ask Colonel Zahavi, considering the fact that uh, uh, actually last... Uh, uh, Friday, we had a program about uh, the campaign between the wars, the Mabam, uh, in which one of the points that was raised was about whether or not uh, it has run its course since uh, the enemies are studying our methodologies. Of course, this is not methodologies for war, but still, uh, there are various practices that are being employed here, uh, which brings obviously the fact that Hezbollah has been very active in the Syrian arena. It's been uh, active in, in various battles on uh, uh, the northern front. As we speak, they have various units uh, uh, within the components uh, acting against Tahrir uh, al-Sham and the various components thereof uh, in Idlib. Uh, we're talking, of course, also about other areas uh, uh, throughout the region where Hezbollah is quite active. Israel is studying Hezbollah. We know their methodologies. We know how they act. To what degree is this going to be also within the factors that Hezbollah is employing in the next round of fighting? It's not a, there is no solution, okay? The campaign between the wars is not a solution. Building a wall along the Israeli-Lebanese border is not a solution. Uh, these are answers. These are, uh, I, I don't want to say tactics because it's kind of between tactical to operational level. But these are strategies that you have to reinvent yourself and develop them along the way all the time. Uh, it is right that the Iranians are learning um, and Israel will have to adapt. I think that in the past decade, the IDF uh, proved a high capability of uh, adaptation to new realities. While the Iranians went more to the aerial corridor, IDF knew how to be there and attack Damascus airport or Aleppo airport. If the Iranians went more with the land corridor, we've seen, as Kohavi already published, uh, attacks even against trucks. Um, IDF will have to reinvent all the time to find more uh, methodologies around that. Hezbollah is there not only uh, in Syria, not only against Akhir al-Sham. Hezbollah is also building another front against Israel from Syria. Uh, we know there are two units of Hezbollah in the Syrian Golan Heights. Uh, one is uh, its mission, it's Lebanese Hezbollah, that its mission 
uh, to uh, support and to educate and to train the Syrian army, and the other one is composed of Syrians, local Syrians that are getting paid by Hezbollah to be capable of when they get the order to execute the small terrorist attacks against Israel. So it's not a strategic threat, but this is it is it's another small challenge that may challenge the IDF in a situation, as you've mentioned, of war from various uh, fronts and various terrains. I just want to mention one more thing since you, you mentioned you mentioned 2006. It's going to be very different uh, from 2006 uh, from various reasons. First, um, the, the damage in both sides is going to be very different. The, from the on the Lebanese side and on the Israeli side, the capabilities of both sides uh, expanded and grew, and we understand that uh, more areas in Israel will be attacked, and following that, more areas in Lebanon will be attacked. You know, I interviewed uh, Prime Minister Olmert a few years ago, and I asked him, how come you automatically make, made a decision after the kidnapping to send the IDF to war? And he said it was not exactly because of the kidnapping. It was because I knew the threat of the rocket should be removed, and the kidnapping was my opportunity. So even if Omert is telling us a nice story a few years after the war, I think that um, there was more than that than just the kidnapping. Uh, I, I truly believe in this. The, the kidnapping was accompanied by a massive fire all over the borderline of Israel, of mortars, with all uh, the communities next to the border uh, were attacked by the Hezbollah mortars. We are now under the threat of the missiles. So deterioration into war, uh, it's not an automatic scenario. It takes a a very brave decision of a prime minister that will have to believe that uh, the Israeli public will back him in this kind of decision, which I'm not sure we are there yet. Uh, but the decision should be uh, a decision to actually bring security and remove the threat of the rockets uh, from Lebanon. And, and again, I'm not sure we are there yet, but this Indeed. should be the reason to go to war rather than a specific right. terrorist attack here and there in Israel. Well, all governments and actors ultimately are driven by interests, and uh, when we're talking about interests, miscalculations are ultimately the trigger that allows interests to be executed. Mr. Olin, final statement. One uh, thing that um, one can draw relief from is the very fact that Nasrallah is threatening. We know that both the Yom Kippur War and 9-11 started in a complete surprise. Of course, there was some tension in the air, but the act itself was surprising. As long as Israel is keeping an eye on what is happening there, there is less chance that war will start anytime soon. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Colonel Sarit uh, uh, Zehavi, Colonel Ruven Ben Shalom, and Mr. Amir Oren for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well from all over the world uh, for taking out of your time to partake in this edition. Until next time, Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.